To the Ether. Today is Monday, November 14th, 2022. Today on the Ether, will crypto survive 2022? A coinage chat with Doquan. Let's take a listen. Welcome everybody into today's spaces here. A discussion on another coinage web three chats. Uh, excited to dig into the topic of the day, although I wish I was more excited than I am as we as an industry continue to grapple with a lot of the issues we've been seeing play out this year around solvency and risks in the crypto ecosystem. Uh, It's obviously been a year of massive failures in crypto starting earlier this year with one that uh, we had a front seat for. A lot of people had a front seat for when it comes to Terra, including our guest. Uh, And the rest of the year, other centralized crypto platforms, including Celsius and Voyager, struggling to deal with some of those issues that have played out in 2022. And as we've seen the latest collapse here with FTX, a lot of the parallels, I think, can't be ignored. And it's something that we as a community-owned crypto show here at Coinage want to explore and want to learn a bit more about. With today's guest, if you've watched our first episode on Coinage.media on our YouTube page, you know him already, the founder of Terraform Labs and the Terra Project, Do Kwan. Uh, appreciate you joining us today, man, to to chat about all these things and dig into, I suppose, what I think a lot of people are curious to get in what is a larger debate going on around centralization in the crypto ecosystem. And of course, you know, decentralized attempts to solve a lot of the issues. Um, So yeah, thanks for thanks for hopping on and answering some of the questions and weighing in on on everything that's played out. Obviously, uh, we don't want to spend too much of the time rehashing anything from prior collapses. Specifically, there's a lot to dig into around uh, FTX. And if people are more curious about, you know, some other failures that have happened this year, we've been covering those for coinage. Um, but first off, I, I guess we can just start with your reaction to what you've seen play out. Obviously, the, the pace of this collapse is one that I think surprised a lot of people in the ecosystem. And you've been watching, curious to get your thoughts just around the speed of the collapse and what you've made of the last few days. Yeah. Um, well, so first of all, thanks for having me, Zach. And, you know, thanks everyone for coming in. So um, as we were chatting in DMs, um, I first agreed to do this interview because I was going to have a more neutral and balanced view uh, in terms of what's happening with FTX. Um, With recent developments, that's gotten harder. Um, So, I mean, I, I think what's clear at this point is it looks like you know, FTX was dipping into customer funds that they were custodying and they weren't a bank. They weren't allowed to rehypothecate, you know, consumer funds. Um, and then they were lending that out to their sister trading company, Alameda. So uh, just in general, I think um, it, it, that, that, that kind of behavior is just not excusable. Um, I, I have more nuanced thoughts on 
some of the rest of the things that are going on if you want to hear about it no i mean well there's a lot i mean as far as timelines are concerned there's a lot from a game theory perspective and there's a lot that you and i discussed back you know earlier this summer around some of you know the attack vectors in some of these things the game theory the 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 moves that played out over the last few days and obviously a lot of people have kind of i suppose reflected on the way that cz from binance talked about ftt token in the open talked about dumping some of those things. And again, whether or not that was good or bad in regards to, you know, what we've learned, as you said, about FTX and the relation with Alameda Research uh, since then, and whether or not had this not been discovered, if it would have gone on um, deeper. But I think part of the reason why we wanted to have this conversation with you is because when we chatted in the summer, you also raised the point that there aren't a lot of people in the crypto ecosystem who have overseen or been in a war room uh, when it comes to a collapse like this. Um, and it all played out, I think, right here on Twitter, right? We saw Binance talking about FTT and, and maybe some of the risks around that and, and removing it. I mean, you've gone through something like that. What did you make of, of, I guess, what we learned in regards to that and whether or not it was maybe a good thing for the industry, the way that it played out as far as, again, you know this, sometimes projects that might go down, uh, if they get to be too big, they'd be too big to kind of have the industry survive a blow like that. Well, I mean, so first of all, like the the one thing that I want to stress is I don't want to. I I so I I so like the first clarification that I want to make is that I don't want to capitalize on what's happening with FTX or um, what's happening to Sam personally. That that really isn't the motivation, and the like the intent of agreeing to this interview isn't to shit on the things that he did. I, I just thought that offering some of the context from somebody that's been under a lot of stress, um, I guess, depending on your perspective in somewhat of a similar situation uh, could help people that are going through, you know, sort of stressful moments of their own, get some closure. Um, so I, I think, first of all, like before we get into like what it's like to be in the war room. I just want to stress that like while the two events look similar, they're not quite the same because uh, for Terra and Luna, like my main stress point came from the fact that there was very little that we could do to actually control things uh, in the sense that like, it, it wasn't as if like when people were using UST, they were buying it from me, uh, nor were when people custodying UST into Anchor, it's not as if we took custody of those deposits um, and then use that to do, you know, various different things. So it was a decentralized platform in the sense that, like, uh, there was very little control that we had over the network. Um, you, it, the user funds weren't being custodied. A lot of the market dynamics that were happening around the network were, you know, beyond our control. So a lot of the things that were happening in Terra's war room uh, during the crash is just trying to figure out what was going on and try to figure out, like, very fast things in in a constrained amount of time to try to deal with it and and eventually we were unsuccessful i don't know what it would have been like in the ftx or the alameda war room um i i suspect that it had a lot to do with let's say you know trying to get more capital or to defend the price of ftt or something like that but i, I don't really understand how their balance sheet works or how the lending relationship worked to be able to offer um, a useful insight. What, one thing that I will stress, though, is I think it is absolutely correct that the community and our industry come together to 
point out the unacceptable behavior um, and quite frankly, a crime of using user funds to, you know, fuel profits or effective altruism or whatever it is that the funds were spent on. But um, like one thing that you need to realize that during times like this, when everything's on fire, a lot of the things that you read uh, on Twitter and mainstream media are just not going to be true. And which isn't to, you know, criticize the people that are speculating or to put this information out there. I do understand that in a time of scant information, like there's a lot of pressure on the media to put information out, even though like that information might not be 100% verified because speed to information can be in some cases more useful than, um, let's say, something that's been 100% verified, which is like in situations like, like this, really, really, really hard. Now, but what I will say, though, is from the perspective of the listener, so if you are like coming across this information and you're reading about how like Sam was having orgies with Caroline or something like that in his Bahamas penthouse or like, you know, like he was on like 20, you know, met, uh, 20 different types of meth drugs or, um, you know, like how he was like terrible to his employers or something like that. Like the truth is likely going to be somewhere in the middle um, between, you know, this like those those things not happening and 100% of those things being true. And I think in order for us to contextualize what happened correctly as an industry, like we need to focus on the truths, especially during times in which it's hard to find, right? Because yeah. if we just say like, oh, he abused a bunch of drugs, like he was a sex crazed animal, he just like scammed a bunch of people, then the learnings that we're able to take away from this as an industry is going to be a lot less than if we are very insistent on the facts, get them straight, wait in some cases until the, those facts come out, and then try to evaluate how we can do better and how to prevent these things like uh, pre prevent things like this from happening again. Yeah, and I, I don't want to shill too hard, I suppose, why, you know, we created Coinage and we've talked about this before in terms of uh, how a community on Crypto Show came about in regards to, I guess, again, only focusing on objective facts and you know, Terraform was kind of, I suppose, one of our investors, as was uh, Alameda, which we've, again, always disclosed into Trustless Media, which is an incubator that's helping create Web3 community-owned shows, Coinage being the first, um, which is owned by our NFT holders, which, again, when you put those biases together, the whole idea is that you are left only with objective facts. A lot of the times, you know, Media companies might have interests, people who own them might have interests in terms of pumping their own projects or attacking others. The hope with this whole experiment was that you would have various different people. Uh, speaking from my point of view, of course, when we raised earlier this year, it'd be hard to find bigger names in crypto than Doquan or SBF. So that was my thinking was, okay, these are two very different projects. And we all know Sam, and we can get into this later, Sam had a pretty large uh, position when it comes to Solana. And the idea of having two competing L1s, you know, on the cap table to get a community show off the board would be pretty good in regards to have those competing interests trying to help us position this. And now the year has, you know, played out very differently. Um, and we've leaned on kind of, uh, you know, everyone watching this play out and everyone's learning in real time. But I do want to echo your stance that, you know, focusing in on the facts are what we're here to do as far as what we've learned and where this goes. As far as, you know, the two pieces that I think are pretty important to get your perspective on as someone who's built decentralized systems and obviously has watched 
I think some of the early solutions to the problems that have been presented from Susie and others in the space, we can get into proof of reserves and whether or not you think that actually is the solution out there. There's also, as Binance revealed today, um, new interest in getting out an emergency fund when it comes to funding these things, which actually made me think a lot about what Terra had set up with LFG and the idea of having a fund to turn to when that was needed and whether or not you think that that is a good way to go. Um, so obviously there's a lot to, to dive into, but I think maybe we can start here with just, again, the idea of centralization. And you know, we asked you about this earlier in the summer, Celsius Voyager, plenty of other projects going down. Let's start on transparency. Um, and contrasting these collapses. What do you make of the way that these things are different for the end user? Because everyone, myself included, has now, you know, BlockFi went down. There are a lot of uh, other centralized lenders who have halted withdrawals. Um, and transparency is not there for a lot of these centralized lenders. No one knew exactly what position, as you said, FTX's balance sheet was in. So what do you make of transparency when it comes from the DeFi promises of letting everyone know exactly how much is in these protocols, what the liabilities are, what the assets are, and whether proof of reserves is the actual solution. Well, so I, I think proof of reserves would have been less useful, um, you know, over the last year or so. Uh, I think going forward, at least in the short to midterm, it, they're going to be incredibly useful. And like the reason is, I don't think it's likely that. Um, you know, lending firms are going to lend money to exchanges because they would immediately think it's sketch. So likely, I think the credit rating of most of the crypto exchanges are likely going to approximate zero uh, with maybe the exceptions of, you know, some of the better known entities like Binance, Coinbase or Kraken, but I don't think they would, they would ever borrow money. So um, yeah, so I, I think proof of reserves are going to be useful because if it's very hard for these exchanges to borrow money, and if they do, I think it's going to leak very quickly. Then in that case, like uh, them being able to show how much deposits they have relative to um, user balances is going to paint a fairly, pro uh, fairly accurate picture of whether they're solvent. Now, in the long term, when a lot of these things fade into memory, and I think they will, um, then in that case, that might become less useful. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, around the emergency fund too, that's another one that, that does kind of, again, get back to the game theory question. And I suppose maybe we can start with a simpler question is whether or not, you know, in this, sometimes people have to make tough decisions. Um, you know, you had to make tough decisions in all this as well. Attempts to salvage a project, knowing that a bunch of user funds were on the hook. I mean, what do you make? Uh, even Brian Armstrong from Coinbase weighed in on the idea that maybe Sam's not necessarily a bad person, but got caught up in a very tough decision. Um, what do you make of the decisions that were made around, you know, the user fund piece? Um, and exactly, I, I guess, your characterization of someone who's in a tough spot and the decisions they have to make and the ones that were made. I, 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 I mean, so I, I don't think like whatever he did with the funds, there's like a gradient in terms of what's acceptable, what's not. So um, if you... If, if like the expectation is that you're going to take user's money and that user's money is going to be held in a bank account or a wallet that you control, and you're communicating that these funds are totally safe, you're not even investing in them as treasuries, then I, I think, you know, whether you gave them out as donations or, um, you know, supporting political campaigns or 
um, you know, whether he was like using them to uh, fund Alameda, relatively all unacceptable. Um, I, so it, it sounds like Sam's explanation is that there was like a missabling in the bank accounts uh, at FTX. Um, I, I, I don't really understand how that creates a $10 billion hole though, because um, it looks like if $5 billion withdrawal in a single day, basically, you know, made them run out of all the liquidity. How do you like mislabel twice as much funds, right? So for example, if they were holding $100 billion and then one of their stray bank accounts is holding 9 billion, then maybe I think it's understandable, but like if it's $10 billion, then that has to be their most important account, right? So like the size of the hole doesn't just quite add up. And uh, I guess but, like it's back. Like having, yeah. Sorry, but, go ahead. Yeah, but, but what I was going to say is like, um, yeah, it looks like so, some of the things that happened in the FTX crisis, definitely criminal. But at the same time, like, I, I don't think like the community should devolve into just like, um, you know, giving credence to like imaginary inhuman types of things that Sam would have engaged in. Right. So like, so for instance, like, yeah, I mean, like whether he had like drug fueled orgies or, you know, like, um, he was like, yelling at employees or something like that. Like after a while, like if you've run a large organization and you've had a lot of people work for you, especially during crises like this, you're just going to have a few ex-employees jump up and say, oh, hey, look, and just, you know, uh, you know, they could be telling one side of the story or they could just be making things up. But what, what I'm saying is like, uh, like believing all the stories about a person during the worst crisis Right. In order to like put them in a demonic caricature so that you can understand and contextualize their crimes better is not the best way to get closure. I mean, I guess I would ask the first question to follow up on that is, is if you feel like that happened, you know, when Terra collapsed and whether or not that was kind of the characterizations you saw, obviously, since, you know, we interviewed you, Laura Shin interviewed you. You know, I think uh, this experience maybe is changing people's opinions about centralized exchanges. And of course, as a Web3 media company, you know, we've been trying to educate the masses on self-custody and why that's important. But uh, as you've watched this, and I don't know if you've talked to Sam directly, um, but I wonder if maybe it's also changed your personal opinions uh, when it comes to anything that may have transpired earlier uh, with the Terra collapse. You know, there are rumors uh, of how active Alameda might be. And you and I actually discussed this, I think, back in our interview at the beginning of the summer, right after Terra had collapsed. I just want to play a little bit of what you said during that question about whether or not you had thought at all about who might have been on the other side, maybe potentially shorting either Luna or UST, or what we saw around the stability uh, of the dollar peg that had failed uh, earlier this year. Let me just play uh, 15 seconds of what you had to say back then and then ask you if your position's changed at all. Take a listen. I did not say that I don't have an emotional response. I'm just saying that I've tried to make a calm-headed decision uh, to categorize this as business and to move on to other things. I'm curious, uh, Doe, since it's all transpired, and I think a lot of people's opinions of both Sam and Alameda maybe have changed, have you given any more thought to the idea of who might have been pressuring 
the USD peg um, or anyone who may have maybe attempted to, I suppose, trigger any sort of uh, panic run. And we can get into panic runs in crypto after that. But first, your thoughts there. So, I mean, so I'm human. So I, I, I have a personal curiosity, a, a very strong personal curiosity in terms of whether Alameda had anything to do with the UST going down. Um, but having said that, I, I, I don't think that really changes anything, right? Because um, at the end of the day, like UST wasn't built to be a decentralized stablecoin that is able to withstand normal market conditions, but you know, succumb to attacks, right? So it wasn't like a decentralized system that had to that had to rely on, you know, the calmness of markets, uh, the ability for law enforcement to be sufficient deterrent for people to short the peg. Um, so at the end of the day, if it wasn't Alameda, um, if if it wasn't any of the other funds that are, that are being alleged in Twitter speculation, it might have been somebody else. So uh, at the end of the day, the stablecoin failed um, and the and an entire ecosystem that was built around it was brought down. So I don't think any of that changes. So from that perspective, um, you know, like in my capacity as Terra's founder, I don't think it really changes anything. But I am curious, personally speaking, uh, in terms of what might have happened. And it looks like that throughout this process, it might take a while, but more information is going to come out. So uh, I'll be I'll be eagerly waiting that information from a personal capacity, but my views have not changed. All right. Well, that that view by itself maybe sounds like it has changed at least maybe a little bit from when we last spoke uh, around at least a curiosity of of who might have been on the other side before. It sounded like you definitely didn't want to get into it as you focused on your other endeavors. Um, I do do want to ask you about panic, though, because that's something that I think the entire industry has been reflecting on when it comes to crypto being an industry that really has operated without a backstop, right? The the whole crypto industry was built around the idea of not needing a lender of last resort, uh, not needing the Fed. Um, and, you know, SBF was really celebrated, I think, in, in a lot of circles. Certainly the mainstream media celebrated it when it comes to him rescuing Voyager, stepping in to backstop BlockFi. And now that it, the savior in this scenario, has gone down, um, I'd be curious to get your takes around panic and what we've seen from you know the death spiral that occurred with Terra, and then a lot of times exchanges facing intense customer withdrawals in a very short period of time. Again, the five billion dollars that FTX saw flow out in what roughly five days, without a lender of last resort, though, without a backstop in the space, is it the fact that that's just kind of the nature of the beast? Or is it really that we should see what CZ is promoting here, having emergency funds that can step in to backstop these things? Or, or if we do have that, does that just recreate kind of the very same problem that crypto all along has been trying to avoid? Um, well, let, let me, may, maybe I'll put it this way. So um, I remember when I first used to carry cell phones, um, you know, I, like, I think my first phone was like this device from, you know, Samsung or something like that. And then you could remove the battery and then replace it with something else. Uh, replace it with like a, another battery that you would charge separately. Um, and then I would always carry around um, like that battery separately 
afraid that the main battery might go out. And I think crypto is kind of similar. So people are always on edge and they're worried about panics because it happens so often. So people are worried about keeping their money in DeFi protocols, you know, leading yields to have to be really high. Um, and they're worried about centralized exchanges because these, these failures keep happening. But um, think about like, well, like immediately following this, this crash, it might not seem like that now, but think about like how far we've come since let's say 2017, right? So there's lots of resilient uh, protocols in crypto, many layer ones with tons of users and activity. I think centralized exchanges, um, you know, with the exception of FTX, I think there's many that um, have practices and user experience that are significantly above the, than what we could see many years ago. So I don't think we need, you know, a backstop or a lender of last resort. We just need to keep iterating and build stronger and stronger systems until like markets don't need to feel panic um, at the slightest hint of provocation. But but that does seem like it it does always happen that way, right? I, I mean, I feel like that was something that even with the reserves that were in place, of course, everyone knew exactly how much OFG had in the case of Luna. Um, you know, that that backstop was eventually going to be all used up. And that panic was kind of inherently a piece of that system. And we're seeing it play out regardless of what centralized player it is now. I mean, it does seem like that's just inherent behavior. And we talk about greed and maybe potential decisions that were made here in this case to kind of roll the dice and try and plug a hole that may have been created using, again, allegedly customer funds. I mean, I wonder if, if, if greed is something that you can't really code out of these systems, if panic becomes kind of something you can't code out either, um, if there is maybe a solution that's, that's different than a backstop, if, if that's not the way forward. Well, so I, I think, I, so I, I think in terms of like centralized exchanges and DeFi protocols, they're going to find different pathways to resilience. So I think for centralized platforms, I, I, I think they're going to be in almost every country in the world, very tightly regulated. So uh, in most brokerages, like customer funds are expected to be kept in segregated, you know, legal structures and bank accounts. And I think similar things are going to start to happen to most exchanges across the world. Uh, but even without it, I feel like this is sort of like a wake, wake up call, as I said before, at least in the short to midterm, for people to not dip into user funds and to adopt those types of practices. I also think a lot of the funds will move to external custodians. So the role between, uh, so like over the last couple of years, we've seen exchanges like evolve into serving seven different roles at once, uh, you know, venture capital, clearinghouse, brokerage, custody, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So I think you're going to see more and more exchanges, you know, focus on their core function of offering open markets, uh, markets that are open 24 um, seven, and then just taking a fee from those trades. And then I think the role of the custodian um, and other things are going to be, um, you know, sort of delegated to, um, you know, prof professional custodians like Anchorage or Coinbase custody and so on and so forth. Yeah, the regulation piece is pretty interesting because that all played out. It was obviously anyone who's in the space knows that it was a wild kind of stretch of of seven days there when it comes to even the, the backlash that we saw around SBF's position in the debate with Eric Voorhees and, you know, what Bankless put out. Um, shout out to them. 
in regards to the fact that Sam had been actively kind of pushing for regulations that a lot of people in crypto saw as anti-DeFi and kind of against the ethos of where the space is heading. Um, you know, I mean, when we talk about this, I wonder what your take is. And obviously, you've, you've been pretty vocal about the case that U.S. regulations are not the end-all be-all when it comes to crypto. But as someone who's watched it play out, um, I'd be curious to get your take on, on maybe how you received the last seven days in the context of Sam being so active in trying to push for regulations that, you know, again, maybe weren't so friendly to DeFi and what that means as far as regulators around the world might consider in being a lot less friendly towards where crypto goes in, you know, the rest of the year and next year and beyond. Uh, if I can shorten that question too, it might be which one you think is worse for the industry. We talked about the pains that came from Terra's collapse and how that might have set back DeFi, but you could equally make the case that FTX now collapsing maybe undoes some of the damage that Luna did to the ecosystem. I, I, I don't know how you think about things like that. And if it is kind of a zero-sum game. Well, so I, I think... I, I, so I don't think there's going to be fine-tuned distinctions between you know centralized exchanges and DeFi. I think there's just going to be more firepower and resources and priorities given to regulators that are just looking at crypto in general. Right. So um, whatever is part of the, you know, regulatory dialogue in terms of, oh, um, the industry doesn't like this, but we think it's going to make things safer um, is probably going to be, you know, the predominant narrative in regulatory circles uh, going forward, like looking at the crashes that happened earlier this year. But I think the distinction, I, but I think one of the things that people don't appreciate about DeFi is like, if it's truly DeFi, it's not really possible to regulate it, as in, like, it shouldn't be possible to shut it down. So, for instance, um, like, with Terra, like, one of the things that I believed is, um, like, even if they were able to, you know, find me or to, you know, get me to shut it down in some way, I just wouldn't be able to. And I think, you know, similar arguments could be made for, uh, a lot of the DeFi, uh, leading DeFi protocols uh, on lots of different chains. Like as in, like you could come after the creator, but at the same time, if that DeFi protocol already has users and is useful, then I, I think it's possible to blunt its growth, but it shouldn't be possible to shut it down entirely. And I think Tornado Cash is probably a shining example of this. Yeah, that was one of the questions that, you know, as a community-based show, there are uh, chances for us to bring in questions from our community. And one of the, the owners of our NFT is actually Chad Bearford, who is at ThorChain, another one of those decentralized projects that allows uh, permissionless swaps. Eric Voorhees, of course, a big ThorChain proponent when it comes to uh, being able to trade and switch cryptocurrencies without being KYC'd. Um, ThorChain is also the back end of what powers Shapeshift, uh, his decentralized project. Um, but a lot of people, I guess, have been watching this all play out. And, you know, you've addressed on other shows the idea of being on the run, not being on the run. And now what's played out with FTX and things like that. Well, also, you know, the co-creator of Tornado Cash, you know, is facing jail time and still apprehended. Um, I mean, I wonder how you look at that when it comes to quote unquote justice in the crypto space, the way that these things are prosecuted the way that people who are attached to these projects are prosecuted, 
and kind of, I guess, what's real in the way that some of these projects, as you said, can basically be set up in a way that can't be stopped. Um, that's that's basically one of the most popular questions that our community has posed and people on Twitter have posed is, all right, is what kind of legal problems is SBF in, Doquan, and then contrasting that with the fact that the co-founder of Tornado Cash is apprehended. Well, so I, I, I think one of the things, oh, okay, so um, like in the media, especially traditional media, I see lots of comments about me being in the run. But um, just because I don't tell the media where I am or where I live, I mean, so like it was one of the things that was very confusing to me was like a reporter sent me a snippet of a vigilante group being formed to like come see me and attack me. And then like this person asked me the question, where are you? And I'm like, wait, like I, I, I get it. So I, I would understand if you were asking me separately where I am, but like you send me a snippet of a bunch of people like threatening to attack me and then ask me where I am. Like I just like, I, so, I mean, like in short, um, like it's, I mean, just because I don't share with the media and the wider public where I might happen to be, that doesn't mean that I'm on the run. Right. So like, I, I live a regular life and any regulator that's interested enough to ask me, but and this is quite serious, by the way, like if you ask me and you have, um, like if you're a government official, I would tell you, right? But it wouldn't be responsible to my family during a time like this to, you know, let's say respond to a question on the Wall Street Journal or something like that and just to broadcast my address or like where I might happen to be. So, so to make it easier um, for people to pose a uh, threat to my family's safety. I mean, Maybe that, that seems... wasn't the question. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, that wasn't necessarily the question. I think the question was technically around, you know, the, the co-creator of Tornado Cash or devs on Tornado Cash, in this case being prosecuted um, for kind of those DeFi projects, as you mentioned, the ones that can't be shut down. Um, and I think people may be questioning whether or not anything will happen when it comes to the investigations into FTX. Of course, the historical precedent with the OA collapse is no. Um, but obviously, crypto is a different beast. Um, one of the questions that I was curious, and this is just a simple one, is if you if you haven't talked to Sam, if in the Terra collapse, he was one of the people that you turned to um, when Terra was going through issues. Uh, so I, so I, I didn't speak to um, Sam directly, but we were so so for context for people in the group um, that might not know, but um, so so uh, we were putting together sort of an emergency funding rounds uh, during the DPEG event to uh, bring in additional exogenous capital to further protect the peg. So um, that round was, I think, was doing pretty well. Uh, we had filled a lot of the book. Um, and then it started to fall apart when the price of Luna just cratered uh, because there wasn't enough Luna to sell uh, to be able to raise enough uh, money at that point. But um, yeah, but we, we didn't speak to Sam directly. Um, someone in our group that was in the war rooms, I think, spoke to Caroline. Really? What was that yeah. conversation like? 
Uh, I mean, so I didn't have that conversation directly, so I'm not sure, but um, it was basically, you know, fairly positive. So if you guys manage to fill out the book, we'll take, I don't know what the number was, maybe 700 million out of the round. Got it. So it was uh, at that point, I suppose, when you reached out or when someone on your team reached out for support, that was that was there, at least 700 million in support for what you were trying to do at the time. If you fill the rest of the book. Got it. Contingent on that. I mean, I think that that's one of the yeah. things that people are trying to figure out in this. Right. Again, all this stuff plays out in public. Um, and we talked about it at the open. And of course, if anyone's just joining us right now, this whole conversation is around the parallels between the collapses we've seen. And I guess the differences between the collapses we've seen in 2022 in crypto when it comes to centralized institutions like an FTX and decentralized projects like Terra. And that is why we have Joe Kwan on here to kind of discuss all this and, and what it's like to see these things firsthand in the war room. Um, and Doe, I mean, I, I guess, obviously, again, you saw the back and forth here. And it's kind of interesting to hear the fact that maybe Alameda would have been there for support. Um, when you guys needed it. But I mean, you've seen the back and forth between CZ and SBF on Twitter and kind of how we got here. Um, I mean, what do you make of, I guess, the game theory as a Binance, again, CZ and SBF have been going at it for the last few weeks. What you think of, I guess, kind of these centralized beings in crypto and whether or not that was kind of, I guess, core to what we saw in FTX's collapse. Uh, so when you say the interaction with CZ, like if you're referring to um, whether like his comments had a material impact on the downfall of FTX, I would say no. Um, as in, like if it wasn't now, um, I think something would have happened later. So, uh, and if something's going to crash, might as well happen earlier rather than later. So, I, so from from that perspective, I think the downfall of FTX was all them. Like it was their own downfall. I don't think other parties are responsible for what happened there. Uh, if you're referring to like the acquisition offer, uh, I mean, it's a pretty big hole, man. So like, even for Binance, like why would they spend $10 billion trying to bail out FTX when likely most of their, most of their users aren't coming back? So I think if it was like a smaller hole, like, I don't know, maybe low nine figures or something like that, they probably could have helped. Um, but I guess, I guess like that's, I just, that's, that's kind of, I guess, at the core of what's played out because, you know, SBF had been asked repeatedly by every news organization he went on and he does do a lot of interviews, um, like a lot of interviews. But if you look at those, he's talked about kind of that they weren't deals he really wanted to make. The BlockFi deal, the Voyager deal, stepping in to, I guess, save the broader ecosystem were not deals that he wanted to make. And I wonder if you watch those and I guess the way that CZ kind of stepped in and then backed out. If there is any sort of take on your side around, you know, if there is such a thing as a white knight in crypto to kind of step in like that, and if you think maybe FTX was overextending itself because they thought, and again, this would be, you know, maybe reading too much into it since no one really knows, but if the thought was there that maybe the system as a whole could collapse if a decision like the one SBF made wasn't made at the time. So... I mean, obviously, I don't know, but I think w one of the things that I thought was curious with uh, at least the BlockFi bailout was that the bailout came in the form of a revolving credit, right? So as in, like, in order to do the 
acquisition, like the main term that FTX was offering was the revolving credit. So they didn't actually have to, you know, wire that money immediately, right? And nor did they, like in their books, it doesn't actually count as a liability, right? It only does that when BlockFi actually accesses that credit. And there were lots of people going through the terms and looking at how difficult it is for BlockFi to get access to that credit if FTX doesn't want to give it out. So, I mean, I think one of the motivation could have been like, um, you know, preventing BlockFi from going down and then distressing the assets that are currently in FTX's books. While at the same time, like if you um, sort of absorb BlockFi as a subsidiary, you get access to their currently liquid assets, right? Which is probably going to be in like Bitcoin, ETH, and stable coins. But I, I find it hard to believe that people would overstretch themselves uh, for an altruistic motive. I mean, like Sam is obviously not an idiot, right? So he, like, there's no way that he he to- took a look at his balance sheet and say, hey, look, we're like a billion dollars away from going insolvent, but uh, we're going to buy, you know, um, this failing exchange for like one and a half billion dollars because I just want to be crypto's white knight. I, I don't think like motivation like that was going through his head. I think that that for me personally is one of the interesting points when you compare, I guess, the public reaction to Terra's collapse. People said the same thing about you is Doe's not an idiot. So this probably couldn't have just happened because he didn't see the risks coming. And you and I talked about that back earlier this year, right after the collapse as well. So again, I'll just play this quick clip from our interview, just because I think, again, it's it's very similar the way that you think about SBF and what played out over the last days, a stretch of days. I'll just play what you said back then when I asked you about, uh, again, where you were mentally around some of the risks um, before the Terra collapse happened. And then get your reaction on the other side. So looking back, this seems super irrational, but um, you got to put yourself in the shoes of a founder and the ecosystem is inching close to $100 billion. If you've had a series of wins um, and you get to that scale, then like you almost don't think that you could fail. So, I mean, I think a lot of people would say the same thing about SBF and FTX, just in terms of, again, this, the level that he had reached and maybe the risks of failure <laughs> being overlooked. Um, well, so I, I want to draw an important distinction. So sure. as in, um, like in terms of managing TFL, we were actually pretty conservative with our finances um, in the sense that like, despite And I'm not talking about the Terra ecosystem, but Terraform Labs itself got fairly large at one point. But uh, we didn't deploy like uh, massive ecosystem funds out of our balance sheet to be able to fund projects uh, out of the venture deals that were being offered. Like most of the most of the checks that we cut were um, somewhere between like twenty thousand dollars to you know a few hundred thousand dollars. So we were generally fairly conservative with the things that we were doing. So. Like when I when I talk about like I don't I don't think Sam would have made the mistake of investing like that. Like if Terra was a company, then I don't think I would have made the same choices and I don't think any sane person would. Right. But like the Terra ecosystem wasn't something that I owned, right? Like as in like when users bought UST, they weren't buying it from me. Right. When people were putting UST into Anchor, they were lending it out to other people that were, that wanted to borrow that UST it didn't come into my pocket, 
right? So for that perspective, like, um, I like when I talked about like Sam not being stupid, it's it's just that it's very easy from a centralized company's perspective to be able to add numbers and to realize when the number goes negative in the balance sheet. It's very different when you're observing like a stablecoin ecosystem that you that you that you created. I, I I don't I don't think the complexity is equal. Understood. That makes sense. I mean, when we think about how much Sam knew and how much those around him also knew, that's another, I guess, similar question. Um, and it's one of the questions from one of the people in our uh, ownership community, Sir Seals, who's on the spaces, just kind of weighing in on the question of whether or not you believe that SPF and those around him then also knew the trouble that Alameda and FTX were in, right? When it comes to, I guess, publicly stating days before the collapse, the user funds will be fine. Don't rush for the exits. And, you know, I think back to steady lads um, and kind of, again, it's all tied into panic. And the Fed, I think, is no different, right? It's all about kind of trying to signal one thing and shift to another. So, you know, the public is always a, a step behind. And obviously, there's reasons for that. Um, but what do you think about what everyone inside either FTX or Alameda knew when it comes to those things, when it comes to presenting everything's going to be fine to the end user and now having... I don't know the number, but a bunch of users around the globe now stuck. Hmm. I mean, that that's kind of really hard to speculate, right? So like without having insider knowledge. So I so Sam either told his employees or he didn't, right? But um, and like it's really hard to say one way or the other unless you were there in person. But I mean, just kind of more broadly, right? From a philosophical standpoint of a founder trying to defend a project. Um, and, you know, we discussed this in terms of the public positioning of projects when they are on the brink, how it doesn't help <laughs> to say things are as bad as they are. Um, what you make of that when it comes to panic in the crypto space without a backstop and kind of how it, again, puts pressure on a founder to maybe not present things in reality. So I, I don't think panics... In, in most circumstances are as bad of a thing as like, so I, I mean, I don't think panics are the problem. It's the resulting devastation, right? So uh, um, like if, if we truly bind to the premise that we're early in crypto, then like panics are just going to happen, right? It's, it, it's just natural. Like the ecosystem isn't as mature as the massive valuations that its companies and protocols are getting. So from that perspective, um, it, like once we accept that there's going to be some panic, right? That there's going to be a lot of failures and things like that in crypto. Then in that case, like the only thing that you have to worry about uh, from the perspective of a founding team is whether there's going to be devastation at the end. Uh, does that make sense? So if you're asking the question of whether like, you know, uh, SPF shared the information uh, of the crisis, you know, with this team, then I, I don't know. Like, I think the panic itself would have been okay. Like, I think the problem was that the money wasn't there, right? Uh, if the question well, is whether, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I think part of the question is whether or not any of this is fairer than the old system, right? When we think about the old system, a lot of people in crypto generally come to the space because they think it's more fair, more transparent. This is the reason why we shifted to this system over the old one. 
there are no bailouts. There are no inside deals. There are no inside information that kind of gets out ahead of time. And I think a lot of people continue to wake up to the fact that maybe that's not the case, particularly around centralized lenders, or maybe potentially also in other failed projects, that it's not always that case. And when it comes to founders, again, trying to defend these things, obviously, they're not going to be the ones who might present something to their communities that uh, is the nail in the coffin. Um, but I think the pressure is more so there when there is no potential bailout or, you know, FDIC insurance, maybe presenting uh, some of the stop gaps to that panic. And then the question is, if it's right for those founders to maybe stretch the truth or not be as honest with those facts. Uh, no, I, I mean, I mean, it's hard to say, right? So because like, if you're asking a hypothetical question of what is the right thing to do after you've already, you know, dipped into customer funds and you don't have the money as promised, then I think at that point, like discussing what is right and wrong is already too late at that point. And of course, like coming forward with, um, you know, whatever happens sooner is better than later. But I, like, like if FTX like dipped into user funds by lending it out to Alameda, then the true crime happened when that lending happened. So I, I don't know if it really makes a difference from like a morality perspective in terms of like, like how that is communicated. I, I mean, I guess it does make a difference, but like not really because the crimes already occurred. Yeah, I think even as we discussed kind of earlier on, uh, obviously there's there's a lot of moving pieces in all these things. Uh, but it, again, it's part of the problem when we talk about transparency is that like a lot of this stuff, maybe particularly when it comes to centralized institutions, not as open and transparent as it could be. Uh, I wanted to also budget time for maybe other questions that might be out there in the community. But, you know, I, I wonder too, if there's anything just you having watched it beyond, I guess, the right or wrong decisions at play here, but just kind of your reactions maybe to, again, I think you and I were both surprised. A lot of people were surprised at how quickly kind of the terror <laughs> happened and played out in a short span of time. But whether or not you're at all surprised about how quickly all of this has unraveled at FTX as you've watched it over the last week. Um. So, I mean, having gone through something unbelievable myself um, and then having, you know, you know, having seen the Terra ecosystem get to a really large scale and then, you know, collapse in a matter of days, I, I, I didn't think anything could surprise me by that point. But at the same time, like I was, you know, pretty surprised at how fast, you know, Sam went from saying, like all funds are safe and we don't even invest in treasuries to two days later having to delete those tweets and, you know, everything having to go down in flames. And like, I, I think today, like he was, I, I almost think he might've been hacked because, um, you know, he was sending out those tweets, like sending those capital characters, like WHA. And then like you and I were talking about this in DMs and I was saying, you know, if he says, um, like, you know, at, at that point, like the alphabet was at A, H, A. And then I said, if he says, have fun staying poor, I'm leaving crypto. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, just, just like the like the public meltdown and, you know, watching that from like a third party bystanders perspective was, you know, I, I didn't think that would happen. Um, I, you know, out of all the different institutions in crypto, I thought 
FTX would probably be, you know, the least likely to go down. But it is what it is. It has been a year of surprises. I think constantly it's it's a humbling game, crypto. And I think everyone's learning that as far as, uh, I guess, the unexpected occurring. And again, people getting caught in the crossfire. Um, I wonder, as someone who's championed kind of a decentralized project, again, kind of being the decentralized money that's driving the decentralized economy before it collapsed, as you, as you phrased it, um, I'd be curious to get your take on maybe some of the centralization risks that are now being presented when it comes to, all right, if FTX goes down, does that mean it's a problem that Binance becomes the dominant player in the space? And again, if it's just the one on-ramp in town, not belittling Kraken or, or Coinbase at all, um, but I'm curious if, if you've maybe thought about the centralization risks when it comes to crypto as a whole, if Binance's power does grow as a result of this or if that doesn't matter? Mm. Well, I, I think other players are, are going to step in and Binance's, uh, like to fill FTX's market share, right? And one of the reasons why Binance is so popular is, yeah, it's, it is a great product. Like if you use Binance, it works really well. But there are things that you know, it, it doesn't do where it can't do. So for instance, like, I, I don't know what its ranking is at now, but um, throughout a lot of its history, Upbit in Korea, for instance, you know, I think at one point it was doing more volume than anyone else in 2017. I think even still today, it's probably like number four, sometimes number three in terms of volume. Um, so there's, you know, regionalities and, you know, differences in product offerings that need to pop up as a result of, it's it's very hard to run something that is massive at scale across the entire world. And it's not, it's definitely not a winner take all type of market, right? Um, and I think over time, as these operations get more complex, either through, you know, compliance needs or just like the damn need to keep customer funds safe, I think exchanges would be forced to focus on a narrower set of rules and a narrower set of product offerings in order to, you know, continue to be successful at what they do. I think what that means is that not only will the stack be, you know, vertically separated, so there's going to be custodians that uh, offer custody services independent of exchanges. There's going to be, uh, you know, you know, different clearing houses for OTC desks uh, that exchanges don't run directly. And I think we're already starting to see that with, um, you know, shops like QCP and Wintermute um, getting market share and, and, you know, Cumberland, GSR and so on and so forth. Um, and then I think exchanges would be forced to focus on a narrow set of things. And I think they will have to pick and choose in which geographies and which product offerings that they compete in. So I, th I think there's always going to be plenty of opportunity and, you know, like the exchange space itself is always going to be competitive. Overall, though, I mean, I guess I've asked this question a little bit earlier, but I, I mean, when it comes to trust in crypto, right, as, as an industry that's kind of built on distrusting everyone and every player uh, around centralized exchanges and even uh, project founders, as the case may be. Um, when it comes to that, I mean, how much do you think writ large this does to kind of unwind the adoption cycle that was there prior um, to all of these collapses and whether or not there's any uniqueness in the largest example, right? For Terra is the largest decentralized uh, stable coin when it collapsed. And now FTX being one of the largest global centralized exchanges going down if you think there is any additional detriment to the movement now so 
I mean, I, I think assuming Binance is safe, I don't think there's anything that can fail at, at, at a similar scale. Uh, if Binance and Coinbase is safe, then I, I don't think there's anything that can fail at a similar scale. Um, so, and like, you know, like if you're talking about like, you know, cryptocurrencies in general, I, I think the market has been surprisingly resilient to all of this. So um, I, I do think that there might be, you know, further contagion effects uh, with different, you know, exchanges or, um, you know, especially a lot of funds that had money in FTX, like winding down. I, I think some of them are starting to become, you know, announced this publicly now. Um, so I, I, I do think that's going to have contagion effects, but I don't think there's anything at a similar scale that's going to fail, like, like in the, in the, in the immediate to short term, of course, like, you know, a few months down the line, anything's on the table. Well, you and I have kind of discussed this, uh, you know, over the months since Terra's collapse and you personally kind of rebuilding trust in the space. Uh, you know, obviously you did the interview with us, Quinnage.media, which everyone can go watch. Um, that kind of dives into your experience and what you knew at the time. But now we're dealing with something that's that's occurred, you know, months since that interview. And I wonder if you've had time to reflect uh, about your own personal journey when it comes to rebuilding trust in the crypto ecosystem. And obviously, there's maybe a lot of people on the space who may be angry with the idea of, of us even chatting with you. Um, of course, Coinage is a crypto uh, community-owned show. So we're following the direction of what our NFT holders say and what they want. And I think, again, as a journalist covering the space, I think there's a lot to be learned from people who are in the arena trying to solve these problems. And with each problem, you know, each solution to the problem, there are maybe potential complexities um, and other problems they might create themselves. But I'm curious, in your own journey of this all, right, right, Doquan, whether or not you feel like this maybe, I don't want to use the word absolves, but where you think your trust uh, in the community stands now in kind of, I guess, this constant debate between decentralization, centralization, um, good and bad, uh, all of these things uh, as it's played out in the public eye. Mm. So I, I think, I, I think it's hard to say, but I, I think overall, like, I, I don't think I ever want to be in a position where like, people trust me or um, like, so I, I don't think I ever want to get to that same level of attention and, and spotlight again. Uh, it's incredibly stressful, like not only when things go down, but honestly, um, I got really unhealthy throughout 2021. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of pressure, right? Uh, even when things are going up and, you know, people start recognizing you on the street and, you know, like your life gets picked apart and things like that. Um, and now, obviously, I think for different reasons, um, things have been stressful. But, you know, to some extent, like I've really enjoyed at least the last few weeks uh, because like one of the things that I realized is, you know, I, I did a little bit of self-reflection and during 2021, I don't think I really did anything that productive. Like from the sense that, like, I think what I most enjoy doing is just, you know, coming up with ideas, tinkering with things, and then to put something out to the world that is interesting. But uh, if you look at my calendar on an average day in 2021, be it Saturday or during the week, uh, the calendar was chopped up into like 15, 30 minute increments on back-to-back -back calls and meetings 
and things like that, a lot of which didn't have a specific agenda, right? Just talking to, um, you know, other founders in the industry, like it could be regulators or something like that. And a lot of those meetings would just be politicking. Um, and I didn't really have any time to do the things that I actually like doing. Um, so I don't know, you know, what it takes to build back reputation, um, you know, after a crash of this size. Um, and I don't know if that's even possible, but um, like at least, you know, what I've been able to gain throughout the last few months of introspection is that like maybe, maybe like having that type of attention just sucks, right? And like, I'm, I'm just, you know, kind of excited to, you know, work on things that I like and not worry too much about whether people are going to use it or, uh, you know, and things like that. And just, you know, try to appreciate the process, which I haven't been able to do in a really long time. I think this year has been unhealthy for a lot of people, actually. Um, and I wonder, too, on that point, as you kind of navigated the fallout from everything, if there's any direct advice, and I don't think, at least I don't see him in the space. Uh, I don't know if SBF is listening, though, you know, he is active, as we've all seen on Twitter still. Um, I, I wonder if there's any advice, again, as someone who's gone through this in the aftermath, in, in again, what you faced after the terror collapse, anything else that you would kind of, I guess, point to as advice to someone in his seat now, um, again, as you said, trying to rebuild trust. And I think it's way too early for that since even questions haven't been answered right now. Any advice to someone else who's gone through that? <laughs> so once again, I, I want to stress that I think what we went through is a little different. Uh, so from my perspective, the differences seem larger than the similarities, but I, I, but I see where you're coming from. So if I had to offer a word of advice to Sam, it's, uh, I mean, I think the most important thing is to think about, you know, like, think about like the influence and, and the reparations that you can make in terms of a circle. So uh, focus on the things that are close to you and then try to ripple out as far as possible. So as in, I, I think what's kind of happening now, if his Twitter account hasn't been hacked, is he's breaking down mentally a little bit. So I think now more than ever, he needs to hold his shit together um, and then just, you know, try to do undo as much of the damage as possible. Um, and then I think the next line that he needs to focus on uh, is to make sure that all the employees at FTX and Alameda are, you know, told the truth, and then they're able to uh, transition and move on uh, in the best way possible. And then after that, like, comes to partners of Alameda and FTX uh, and all the users that they had and the investors. And then after that, I think it's the public, uh, be it, you know, law enforcement or... Um, you know, just the average person on crypto Twitter. But uh, I think trying to focus on the problems that you can solve one at a time, but making sure that you just, you know, hold it together and make sure that you continually work on solving these problems is really important. But it can't happen if you've gone crazy. I think, yeah, I think, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned in our interview that you didn't eat for or sleep for a few days uh, when all this is going on. I think anyone watching the debate between Eric and, and SBF may have noticed some things. Uh, and again, no one really knows entirely what happened 
in the run-up and everything that was going on, uh, again, we saw the back and forth between him and CZ on, on Twitter. But I think anyone watching may have noticed uh, differences in terms of his prior public appearances. Um, and I mean, I guess, you know, in our interview, you talked about some of those mental issues and I guess the weight of it when you're trying to salvage that. And it sounds like, you know, it's weird to think about the parallels of you talking or someone on your team talking to Alameda. And then I assume them also reaching out to everybody else as we saw the reports for billions of dollars of rescue funds, what kind of weight that also might entail. Um, I mean, as someone who's been in that position, you've talked about maybe some of the issues around it and kind of uh, just not sleeping um, and having to deal with the, the stress of it all. I mean, again, I don't want to have you kind of talk about SBF in the way that no one knows what it's like to be in that position, but obviously not good decisions were made. Um, your thoughts, I suppose, on kind of how that all plays out when it comes to actually having to do those, have to make those calls in that war room um, when things, as you said, you almost had a deal on the table to salvage Terra, at least at the time being, um, and then to have it all kind of slip away, what that's like and whether or not you think you've heard, whether you've heard from anybody else who has kind of watched it all play out, whether or not that was even the case around the Alameda and FTX situation. I, I, so like the, the only information that I have on the FTX Alameda situation is just like random people DMing me with, unsolicited insights and uh um and uh, what i see on twitter and reading the news so i i don't know like how the fundraising uh played out i do agree that it, it would have been stressful and then for sam to go to cz after their very public battle must have been hard but at the same time like yeah i, I mean what is that stress and hardship compared to like just like the horror of, you know, 5 million people not being able to access their funds. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there have been countless other people having to deal with that right now. And I feel like it just sucks as an industry to continue to watch it and the cascading impacts of it all as it goes from one centralized exchange to the other. Um, you know, and again, looking back at the Terra situation as well, as we all kind of lived through and, and talked about, again, no need to, necessarily rehash all of that as we've already covered it uh as an outlet i do want to ask uh seals who's up here another member of the coinage community um who's kind of watched this all play out himself as well uh if you wanted to ask a question up here um hey what's going on what's going on guys can you hear me yep uh well first off uh thanks for having me on zach you're uh you're the goat leading the uh the truth behind the industry, and uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, so, Kwan, it's great to hear from you again. I'm glad you're safe and doing well. Uh, one of my questions was, considering everything that's happened, you know, in the macro economy, is it possible that maybe most founders saw this coming when going to lenders or basically receiving most of the large money and funding coming through? Um, the normal, you know, economic system, were you ever worried with Luna? Or do you think this could have been the case, especially for SBF, where he was dealing with a lot of, um, you know, government officials, he was dealing with a lot of legitimate companies and brands? And, and is it possible that we're relying basically still on that money to grow 
the ecosystem in crypto. And perhaps maybe that's why CZ at the end of the day uh, ended up winning because maybe he has more actual decentralized money. You mean he has more money, right? Like yeah. He has more crypto? I mean, I mean, they're balanced. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, they're balanced. Sheet. Yeah. Crypto. Well, I, I mean, like, I, don't, I wouldn't characterize. Yeah, I wouldn't characterize what happened here as like CZ winning over SBF or anything like that. I, I think CZ just, you know, did okay because he didn't do anything funny with his money. Right. And I, I think it's, you know, pretty much simple as that. Right. If it was the opposite case where, you know, like hypothetically, if like CZ was over leveraged and Sam, you know, wasn't doing anything with his money, I think, you know, quote unquote, Sam would have won. But I, I don't I don't really think about this as like a conflict between CZ and Sam and, you know, whatever people are speculating about Alameda attacking USD. I don't think it's like a conflict between, you know, Terra versus anyone else. Um, I think it just yeah, goes no, down I to completely agree you know, with what you. Is more resilient. Yeah. And that goes to my next question. Do you believe that there should be some sort of uh, well, this wouldn't be decentralized exactly, but in this time in our space. Would you entertain the idea of having some sort of a, I guess, unofficial board to where these founders of the larger projects holding, you know, most of the volume of customers and, and users to maybe, you know, get together and be a little closer? Because from my experience, I've seen, you know, most of, of you guys as founders are pretty hard to reach most of the time. And I also don't know if you guys have good relationships, you know, speaking back to, obviously it's all speculation, but, you know, with the CZ and F SBF situation, for example, um, you know, Vitalix hasn't really had much to say on the subject. Uh, and it's kind of concerning to see that most of the top players in the industry might not get along or maybe not be being as transparent with each other as well. So I'd like to hear your take on that. Well, I think every relationship is different, but I would say that like crypto doesn't have a problem where um, like it's like the founders of leading protocols and exchanges are, are, are not close to each other. I think it has the opposite problem where like they're too close to each other and there's information silos that form there. But just in general, like if you're asking whether like an official board of, you know, like the largest exchanges or protocols should be formed for consumer safety, I think some forms of that already exist. Like, so for, for, for instance, I think there's like the blockchain association in the US to, for like regulatory lobbying purposes. I think um, like a lot of the Ethereum DeFi founders are quite close, um, but, I, I, I think just in general, like, I, I think things like this is like forms an opportunity to form different types of standards in the industry, right? Um, so for instance, I think it's pretty clear at this point that exchanges shouldn't custody their own funds, or at least there should be a better way of making sure that user deposits aren't touched. And, um, you know, I, I, I think there's an argument to be made that um there should be better ways of um you know preventing hacks or 
uh, different types of monetary loss in the system. So it could be encapsulated in, let's say, um, a, a different token standard similar to the ERC-20. So, I mean, there's there's tons of lessons that we can take away from this. And a part of that should could be regulation, right? So like mm-hmm. as in centralized exchanges should be regulated similar to traditional brokerages. And I, and I think that, especially these days, is a reasonable outcome, if, if not a better one. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think it has to start with, you know, basically keeping the same practice that uh, the whole whole world is used to. And yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on and uh, answering most of our questions. Uh, I guess my last one would be: Are you speaking with anyone in the regulatory system in terms of, you know, perhaps being of of help to fix it? Uh, giving your, you know, knowledge and kind of coding skills and, and everything that, that you've created. Have you had any talks of that sort with any, you know, officials or to become basically someone to prevent things that, you know, happen to you and are seemingly happening all across the crypto industry? Uh, yes, um, but the conversations with regulators is, you know, as you could probably tell, mixed. Um, yeah. For for some of them, um, like they they do reach out wanting to understand like what happened and like what are the types of uh, you know guardrails that they should put into place, including doing nothing uh, to make sure that users are kept safe. Um, and uh, in some cases, it's honestly, <laughs> as you can imagine, a little antagonistic, but um, it that that is as it should be. Dope. Seal, I appreciate all the questions there. Those are all good. Uh, appreciate that. And you hopping up here. Um, to echo off of one of those, too, I mean, when we talk about, I guess, the emergency fund that CZ has been floating in crypto, I guess I've shared my opinions on that. Um, but at least the Fed has kind of a dual mandate, right, when it comes to price stability. And a lot of people might say they've been failing on that recently and uh, full employment. I mean, when it comes to an emergency fund that might be used in crypto, and I guess what you tried to set up with uh, Luna Foundation Guard. Hey, I, I think we lost you. So, Kwan, you're still there? Yeah, I'm here. I, I just missed a lot of what Zach said, though. Yeah, I, I didn't uh, hear the whole first part of that one. But I think he was asking about the Luna Foundation. and. Uh, your advances on that and what, you know, kind of asking on kind of like the CZ fund that he's uh, kind of spoken about. So I think he meant to ask um, you about the Luna Foundation and if, um, you know, kind of how you're structuring that. Uh, well, so the, the Luna Foundation Guard is, you know, like it's done, right? So there's... Yeah. Um, but if you're talking about like the efficacy of um, CZ's emergency fund, I just don't know enough about it. Uh, it seems like you know, like a good opportunity to provide liquidity to smaller projects or teams. Um, but um, like at, at a billion dollars, right? It's like a billion dollars. Mm. I, I don't think it can prevent anything major from going down. Yeah, dear. Sorry, I'm I'm back on. Um... The question was more so tied to the idea of actually establishing what a mandate for an emergency fund like the one CZ is talking about might be. 
um, obviously, as, as the Fed is concerned, the dual mandate there being price stability and full employment, um, you know, those are powers that are given to them by Congress in the way that it was set up. I'd, I'd be curious maybe what your warnings could be around the idea of a centralized emergency fund that is run by one of the largest crypto players, whether or not that could actually have, you know, unintended consequences um, when it comes to an industry that's meant to be as decentralized as crypto. Um, and maybe some of the warnings, perhaps what you've learned around LFG and the way that it functioned for Terra. Well, the, the mandate is a little different, right? So I, I think, you know, Prasizi, like he runs a very large company within the crypto industry, right? And at the size of his balance sheet, a billion dollars is probably not a lot of money. Um, and if he can use that opportunity to invest in what he considers to be good projects while at the same time, you know, uh, per, you know, help them out of a difficult situation, I, I do think it's a net positive for the industry. I think LFG was a little bit different, like in the sense that like its main mandate was to buy Bitcoin to be able to create a reserve um, for like the Terra ecosystem. So like the, the unique concentration of risks and sort of like the challenge of LFG's mandate, I think is a little bit different than what CZ is trying to do. It's definitely, I think it's definitely harder, but I guess that that's kind of, I guess, watching it from the outside, that would be the concern is that it's, if it's a broader mandate, uh, at what point do you know what is, I guess, necessary to step in and backstop some of these things? Because then you open the can of worms that I think crypto is always trying to avoid, right? What is too big to, to fail um, and what is not? And it's without that mandate or without kind of limiting those powers, I wonder if it's maybe, again, uh, a potential to open unintended consequences in crypto. Hmm. That's a good question, Zach. Or also, I mean, I guess like even LFG, like issues you ran into in terms of like even trying to choose who's who's like, I mean, you know, there is a process for putting into place a lot of these people. And if they're not elected, if they're just people on the, I don't know if it's any better or worse, but you know, just one thing. Yeah, but although like, I don't think like these particular mechanisms need to be like decentralized per se, because uh, for CZ, like he's using his own money, right? So he's not like, I, I hope he's not like using finance user money and I don't think he is, right? Um, like he's using the money that he's earned through Binance to provide the backstop funds. So the idea that like that decision-making process needs to be decentralized, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I just think about it as like a, um, like a private equity fund with um, like, I, 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 I guess like a altru somewhat altruistic secondary goal of um, trying to make sure that companies that have value don't go down. Uh, and it's kind of a similar situation for LFG. Like most people don't realize this, but how we capitalize LFG in the first place is donations from TFL, which is an entity that I almost entirely own, right? So, um, and especially like with LFG, like the goal wasn't to act as the Fed for the Terra stablecoin. Like it was like literally just intended to exist until we could like create a mechanism uh, an on-chain mechanism uh, for there to be a BTC reserve against which you could redeem UST, right? But at, at the same time, I think it's when it's like proprietary capital, um, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know if you have a mandate to be a DAO or 
you know, appoint a decentralized set of governors. I think, you know, we're, we're still trying to see uh, what other questions people have. And I know you don't have a limited amount of time here, but one of the questions that continually gets brought up, and again, being a show that is trying to address community questions, uh, I'm sure you've faced these from everybody, but the Luna Classic community uh, is still very vocal. Um, I'd be curious to get your take, I guess, on, on where that project stands now, since you've kind of shifted away. Um, and and as you've seen that kind of, uh, again, try to, I guess, step in to fix a lot of the issues that exist on, on Terra Classic since you've departed. So one of the things that's been surprising is um, there's been like extremely talented people step up and try to fill the void of what TFL left behind. Um, and like, I, I don't really discuss this publicly, but um, I've, I've had discussions with several of these builders um, that have reached out and I, um, well, not, not, not only builders, but just like, Luna Classic uh, community members, right? So for some of them, um, you know, they're just, you know, very price sensitive. They, they would ask questions like, oh, when Luna Seed to the moon or something like that. But I, I think for like the, the ones with whom I've had a continuous conversation, I, I've just been impressed by like the, the depth of their background and uh, the amount of thoughts that they put into like, um, you know, building a working economy on top of Luna Classic. Um, which I, I think is, is not an outcome, honestly, that I was expecting, like, when, um, after coming out of the May crash. But I think the challenge that Luna Classic faces now is um, it's, it's a very large and diverse community that hasn't had a time to, you know, grow together, right? So um, sort of in that community that was formed in chaos, like the resulting discussions and the governance process and people's understanding of what this is supposed to be is also chaos. So you have talented factions uh, with varying degrees of sophistication that are wanting different outcomes and different directions for the chain and the community. Um, and I think that's the unique challenge that Paraclassic needs to solve now is to come together under, if not a common direction, at least, um, you know, a common set of values that the community stands for. And if they're able to do that, then I, I think it's, it's, it's going to do well. Um, if they are not able to do that, then I would say that things are going to be pretty challenging. Um, as you kind of, again, as we discussed, you're still active, I guess, in, in the Luna 2.0 movement and trying to build that out um we've discussed i don't know why that is happening but i think i don't know twitter spaces have had issues when you cross the 3000 i think uh number on this at least between two phones we're trying to make this work um but no Joe, i mean when you're talking about i guess what happens now right we've seen kind of uh, enthusiasm prices across the board for projects that may have been established a little bit longer than Luna 2.0. I mean, you mentioned before in our interview that it doesn't necessarily mean anything to be building in the bear. In fact, I think you mentioned it's better to be building in the bear. 
for launching a new project and getting off the ground? I mean, what kind of challenges have you seen? And I guess, again, trust issues aside, but just the engineering pieces of enthusiasm in the space waning with crash after crash, collapse after collapse, uh, building that project out? Well, so I, I can only speak to the, the teams that I've had an opportunity to work with closely or like with respect to my team, but just in general, like uh, people that like really enjoy the process of building um, and yeah, they, they just don't really like trade or like pay attention to what's happening in the markets all that much anyway. And this is in some cases like a blessing and a curse, right? So, um, you know, like when there was a lot of attention, like people would just look at TFL and thought it was just like me and like a couple of different dudes, but no, like it was, it was a large team and we had lots of people. Right. And that's largely as a function of, you know, um, lots of people on the team, not like they, they don't want the publicity, they don't care about it. And they don't actually like even trade um, all that much. So I, I think like for people that just like enjoy the process of building and like as long as they're being paid enough so that they don't have to worry about food or rent, like just in general, like I don't think like whether it's a bull market or a bear market, like really impacts their productivity very much. But um, like bear markets are great to focus, right? Because there are less people like pinging for your time. There's less conferences and podcasts and less attention in general. So I think it's easier to focus and get something done. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think the crashes of centralized exchanges or like terror blowing up would have had a material impact on people that are truly passionate about the space and their willingness to build. I think we're getting close to the end on this space as, uh, Dale, as we wrapped up pretty much everything here. Um, I think there is, you know, a lot of questions that are just, you know, right now piling in a lot to get to in the spaces. And again, I know you only said you had an hour free, so I appreciate you sticking around to answer most of the other questions. Um, lastly, though, as we kind of talk about, again, to contrast everything that you've seen, what might be the last point that you would want to leave people with in terms of what we've Okay, well, um, he dropped off again, but I think I got the gist. Um, mm -hmm. Well, so I, I said this earlier, like um, in, well, let's call this an AMA, but um, like a lot of people are hurting right now. Uh, the markets are absolutely terrible. And, um, you know, um, a lot of people have funds locked up in FTX. A lot of people, you know, lost money. Um, but I, I think the, like the important thing to focus on is just, you know, trying to focus on the facts, like getting down to the truth of the matter. So I think, um, anger is justified and it's fine. And for people, for, for those of you that can best find closure through speculation, I, I think that's okay too. But at the end of the day, like we don't learn and move to, you know, forward as an industry, unless we, we can truly just, you know, look at just at the facts of what happened and then try to construct mechanisms and systems whereby we can do better so that stuff like this doesn't happen again. Right. So, and, and I think that means that like as tempting as it is to, you know, um, you know, demonize, let's say SBF as like a drug addled, um, you know, sex orgy fueled type of scammer like which could be true 
uh, and like, but like the facts in situations like this take some time to play out. And based on those facts, I think we need to have a balanced discussion, uh, not absolving SBF. I, you know, once again, I, I think probably what transpired with FTX and Alameda is absolutely terrible. But we need to construct ways and have a discussion and a dialogue on how we as an industry can prevent situations like this from happening again, right? And I, I, I don't think like, you know, uh, people calling Sam like a meth abuser and then just, you know, like crying for him to be put in jail is at, at least not the full solution. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat with us. Obviously, there's still uh, a few people on the space. I want to remind everybody that Coinage is the community-owned show in crypto that is trying to answer the big questions here. And I appreciate everyone weighing in thus far on all the episode topics that we've chosen on the season. Uh, I want to appreciate, uh, I want to give a shout out to Seals for coming up here and asking questions as well. Um, as we wrap the spaces up. Yep. Thank you, Zach. I really appreciate uh, you having me, and I appreciate you coming on, Doquan. I did have one last question for you. Do you think this is a matter of uh, market capitulation, or are we in for a total reset and reconstruction period? I, I think the, the market's going to be pretty bearish for some time. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it means for the market to capitulate. Um, like if it's capitulation i think it's going to look worse <laughs> but um yeah i mean i mean just in general like i i think if we're like trading crypto because the next few weeks or the next few months matter then i i don't think that's the right way to do it like like if you need to worry about runway for like the next few months you definitely shouldn't be trading crypto um or like working in the industry and like hopefully like you're getting paid enough so that you don't have to worry about food at least. Um, and I, I think there's still like resources and teams that are still hiring. So I think from that perspective, um, like builders are going to be insulated. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we're in this for the long haul. So um, like, yeah, I, agree. I, I think, yeah. All right, awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and I'll, uh, I'll let Zach take it from here. Maybe his mic's not working. But yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on, Doquan. I appreciate you having us here with Coinage Media, the only uh, co-owned NFT show. And yeah, hopefully you can get his mic working. If not, we know you're short on time. So um, really appreciate you coming on. And also I see wab.eth in the spaces and... Uh, Love to talk to you about seals related things later on. Okay. All right. Thank you. Signing off. Bye bye. Thanks, Tokwan. Bye bye. Sorry, guys. Having a bit of mic troubles at the studio. If anyone wants to come up here and kind of dissect what just was spoken about, please do. Okay, guys. So apparently we lost connection over at the studio. I just want to sign off real quick for coinage. Uh, we decided to do this interview because our community was asking a lot of questions about the recent collapse with FTX. And one of the biggest questions we saw coming through 
when we were talking about the spaces is the connection between Doquan and FTX. So we did the spaces to try to ask the questions our community was asking. We're also going to be dropping an episode next week. It'll be a deep dive into the FTX collapse and we're gonna answer more questions. If you have, have any questions that we didn't answer, during the spaces, feel free to message us or join the Discord and drop your questions in there. Thanks again for tuning in. Oh, Zach, are you back on? Thank God, because yeah, I lost echo. my voice. <laughs> well, Chrissy, yes, our, our community lead has been battling the flu <laughs> I'm so sorry. and managing all of this as well. <laughs> but yes, I'll just echo all of that, and I appreciate everyone tuning into the spaces. Again, if there are other things that you want us to cover, this is the whole point that we uh, form this community and why Trustless Media raised money in the first place. And now, ironically, I suppose, has those funds to use um, here after all those collapses to help the community address some of the questions that are out there, help secure these interviews and get to the bottom of a lot of the things that happened here, again, presented without bias in a way that the community is able to weigh in on and fact check us uh, and not just have us presenting our take on any of these issues. But um, appreciate everyone tuning in, and what we hope to ask, what we hope to host a lot more of these on the Coinage Web three spaces. Again, you can go to coinage.media/join to help us build the first community-owned crypto show targeting a mainstream audience to try and explain why a lot of these issues matter, why decentralization decentralization matters uh, for an industry, and again, why self custody at the end of the day is a pretty important concept to be teaching everybody in this space as well. Um, but thank you for tuning in. Appreciate it. Again, coinage.media slash join if you'd like to join us in building what we are trying to put out there for the world. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Will Crypto Survive 2022? A coinage chat with Doquan. Hosted by Zach Guzman. Recorded on Monday, November 14th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Sneaking through back alleys on a little cosplay. Broadway all day, looking like the wrong way. Resuscitating major players in the waiting room. Sifting through the paperwork while I be debating fools. Breaking rules, breaking bad, like we always wait for doom. Slayed a few in my early years, often in the shroom. Sitting in the dark, waiting for the daily news to let us know what we should believe as the latest truth. Stay aloof, writing rhymes in the studio. Trying to keep it well lit, like filming a movie role. Sorting through support from your endorsements. Of course, we're tripping balls, handed reports in. The latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of pack of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner, finger licking like the plate is gizzle Kick it for a minute then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Big thinking energy always gets the best of me When I kick it in the lab, messing with new recipes Gotta mix and match, flip the latch, letting rhythm scratch No shit, spitting facts with my vision smash Big trip aristocrats, dishing out a list of trash Missing wisdom, this fish is too big to catch Better let the missus know where you hit the stash Watch your next step, bro, before you hit the traps Walking on eggshells, tripping over landmines And I'm about done dealing with these damn lies Man, I'm looking at this planet like a franchise Chastised into digging holes in the back nine the latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of peck of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner, finger licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two 
think it do? Two plus two. Two spaces. <laughs>